Hello, it's Kerry and Rachel. Rachel, what are you doing? You got all the good words. <laughs> Welcome to Dirty Vegetables, a podcast where we discuss hot topics in the vegan world, exposing the dirt on animal industries and sharing our complete adoration for vegetables. 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 Welcome along to another episode of Dirty Vegetables. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about turkeys in all of their glory. Yeah, this episode has been inspired by the holiday season um, and the fact that a lot of turkeys are getting eaten in America for Thanksgiving and also in many countries around the world for Christmas dinner. And um, yeah, that's inspired us today to talk a little bit more about the beautiful bird. So the main points in this episode are going to be sentience in turkeys, industry practices with turkeys, and what to eat instead of turkey this holiday season. Um, And the main question we're going to be focusing on is why we should fight for turkeys. Before we get into the nitty gritty, what's been going on, Rachel? I'm going to listen here. You have my word. I'm going to Stockholm on Monday and I am going to film vegan spots in Stockholm. It's official podcast. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it and it's going to be great. I'm going to do lot. I'll do lots of little videos and I'll work out how to edit them together and I'll put it on freaking Instagram. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Think coffee shops, think it's going to be sick because there's also like such wow. a like Sweden in general are really into secondhand, nice. like it's a big culture here. So, like, the vintage shops are I've hired like mm. the best, yeah. So, like, I could get a little bit of that in there as well, like, have me having a little peruse around the vintage shop. And I'm going to use the I think I'll use the camera because it's 4K. But it's more convenient on a phone. But I'll take the camera as an option. You've said it now, so you can't not do it. You've said it. That's like a promise. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be good. Because I'm going to put a lot of effort into like a really nice outfit for the day. And and, and just in general, Jesus, the Lord, our Saviour Christ, I need to get out and about. I need to. I'm reaching breaking point here. Like, oh my God. Are you getting cabin fever a bit? Managing people is hard. It's hard. I'm yeah. having like a cry a week at least. <laughs> On a good week. It's oh god, fucking I, I understand. Hard. I understand. People especially es- oh go on. Go. You go. I was just going to say I feel like I really trust humans. I'm a trustworthy I trust other people. But see when you start working with other people and trying to manage them, you just can't rely on anyone can't rely on people to do things right you can't rely on people to be as enthusiastic as you are there's all these wee things it's so hard yeah god everything you just said I relate to so much and I have I hate and I mean hate bold underlying caps micromanaging people so like I try to trust people as much as I can to be like just do this do whatever you think go for it you'll be fine blah 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 blah. and then it just oh backfires it's tough I feel you. And it's just, yeah, hard. 
it is hard. I'm enjoying not really managing my own projects at the minute. Although I'm sort of going down that route a wee bit. I don't have to manage full projects and work. But I have to manage like smaller workshops and things. But I haven't really started it yet. Because I'm still quite getting to grips with the schools and stuff. But I, I just like that. So in my last job, I was like, I did my projects from start to finish. And there was no real input from anyone else. And that's like, that's because you're relying on everyone and it's like intense and you have to do it right for yourself and for the organization. But in this job, I've got a full management team and they just kind of take the fall a bit. I love it. Yeah, (laughs) It's good. Like if something goes wrong, they kind of take the blame a wee bit, which is nice. (laughs) It's nice (laughs) to have someone to fall back on a bit. Yeah, totally. And I think it's just so, like, there's a, there's actually, it's a strange kind of uh, thought um, that I've been having recently. So in terms of, like, freedom in society, we often think that just workers working for a company without any sort of responsibility have the least freedom because they're getting told what to do, when to do it, and they have this kind of metaphorical chain around them and they're the rat race nine to five grind blah 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 blah, stuck in the system to which which to an extent is true you are definitely less free than like a radical hippie or something however i believe that there's actually in some ways more freedom to that than the people that are above these people that the people below think have more freedom like Oh, this is. I know what you mean. Going with, I know what you mean. Because the people above are make the choices. Are like there's just a lot more weight on their shoulders. I know what you mean completely. Yeah, because it feels like because you can make the choice if you're management, you've got the choice to do whatever you want. But really, you're still in a structure as well. You can't just do whatever you want, <laughs> you know. And there's all that pressure of it as well pressure of pleasing the people pressure of pleasing everyone pleasing other managers pleasing all the volunteers pleasing people who are coming for retreats like and you feel like it it's on you when it's not entirely on you but it feels like that I'm sure if you're but it's that reliance on other people it's so hard it's so hard I don't know if there's any way around it to be honest I think morning routines are the most important thing anyone could ever do in their life and I need to get mine back because mm. I'm like I can just manage my day so much better and go with the flow so much easier and just deal with things with an element with an element of joy when I have a morning routine yeah. in place but I find that I'll, I'll wake up and I'll my, my alarms on my phone and then when I turn off my alarm I'll notice some emails have come through and then you're in it and it's really hard to get back out of it again, to be like, no, what's more important right now is me and doing yoga and doing breath work and doing journaling an alarm and, clock. and meditation and things that make me feel get, better. True, that could be do good. Do that in Stockholm on Monday, get an alarm clock. I've got one of those ones that like, I've probably told you this like 50 times, I always talk about this alarm clock, but that lights up. So half an hour before your alarm goes off, it starts to light up. So it's like you wake up naturally mm. and I always wake up before the actual alarm goes off because that light like mm. wakes you up. Do you know what's changed my life? An eye mask mm-hmm. has changed <laughs> my life. 
because I wake up very easily like just don't sleep that well it's not really I'm just a very light sleeper I still sleep a full night but very light sleeper eye mask changed my life changed my life and I put off getting one for so long because I heard some like yogi or something say I don't even know if it was a yoga person but somebody wise said you know way back when our ancestors wouldn't have complete darkness like you should be able to sleep through different time like you should be able to sleep through noises you should be able to sleep through slight light and stuff like this and I thought all right okay and then I got an eye mask and changed my life (laughs) also morning routine absolute advocate for that absolute it's the best thing ever do you know what I really want to do I really want to start Mm. and this is really hard to get up at five in the morning that's what I want to do and it's so hard because you wake up Mm -hmm. and it's dark and you're like I normally get up at like six anyway six half six but that extra hour all I can think about is like oh my god think of all the things I could do (laughs) so the dirty ingredient of the week before we get started into turkeys and this is an ingredient that we both love and use quite a lot and we think it's really beneficial in a vegan diet so today's dirty ingredient is nori nori sheets they normally come in essentially a seaweed and they originate from japan it's been around for more than two thousand years so this is an an old old thing that's been eaten (laughs) so originally it was actually seen as a luxury food all the rich people ate it because it was only harvested from the seaweed that sort of washed up on the shore so they didn't know how often this nori was going to come about and so it was quite a luxury product but between the 1600s and the 1800s it started to be dried out and put in those sheets that we know it in today so you normally get it in like a plastic packet with like 10 sheets in it they're quite big and it's sort of they make it similar to paper making actually and it's actually really interesting if you look up pictures of them doing this because it's grown in nets along the sea so I kind of envisioned it just being picked up on the beach. <laughs> That's how I envisioned Nori. But obviously nowadays it's mass produced and grown in these nets along the sea, um, which can be a bit unpredictable if the weather's a bit unpredictable. But nowadays it's mostly u- it's mostly made using mechanical means, so it's it's not that hard. Whereas it used to be really labour intensive and really dependent on loads of factors, which just doesn't really happen anymore. So the most common uses, I think the most common use has to be sushi um, and put in anything to get a sort of fishy flavour. I think it is almost always in Japanese dishes. I don't really see it in any other cuisines, really. How do you use nori, Rachel? Yeah, I definitely use it to give a fishy flavour to things. I use it in um, chickpea tuna. Um, There's this chickpea tuna uh, pasta dish that we make quite a lot that I believe Octave made for you in Malaga. Mm. And I've used it once before when I did battered fish, fish in inverted commas. Oh, yes, I did. Was it banana blossom? Banana blossom, yeah. Which was did it work out so for you? Good, yeah. Oh, it, was it was crap when really I made it. <laughs> good, like I was mind blown. That banana blossom 
mimics the texture of fish like it's just it still didn't taste like fish though do you not think i think it did because this the nori and then there was like lemon juice and black pepper on it tasted like fish i wanted it to be so good like i've had it from an actual chip shop before and i made it myself the chip shop one was definitely better but i still didn't like i don't know i was disappointed and i didn't want to be disappointed it was very yeah <laughs> and I also just I have, I also use like nori just for Asian dishes. I feel like we talk about Asian food so much on here. We need to do like a dirty vegetables trip to Asia. Um but it yeah, if I'm just making anything kind of like fried rice or noodles or ramen or anything kind of Asian inspired Asian fusion, I often kind of sprinkle some like shredded nori on top and it really gives it that extra pizzazz, that kind of umami fishy salty flavor that kind of brings everything together i I guess i see Mm. it as kind of like a fish sauce replacement yeah what about you yeah i make chick i make chickpea tuna as well chickpea tuna um yeah it's really good i think we should maybe do a recipe for that it's really good you just basically mush up chickpeas and you put in nori and i like to put celery in it and tomatoes and stuff as well adds a good bit of flavor and some spices it's on it's unreal um, also the classic miso soup which is just the nicest thing ever it's so salty and delicious and then throw some miso in there it just not miso nori nori <laughs> throw some nori in there and it just elevates it and also i remember we talked about this i think on last week's episode that time we had that zoom dinner date and we made these fish cakes and that went into it and it was really i still make those yeah. re- relatively frequently yeah they were they're they're good like really good really they're good. made with jackfruit and like red thai curry paste and then some of that um nori is put in it with other spices it's loads of coriander as well unreal yeah it's really good but it's a bosch recipe yeah. they've got great recipes bosch i'd like to get one yeah, of their cookbooks actually sure. um but yeah you can buy nori anywhere really now at most big supermarkets um but i always buy it in the chinese supermarkets i also feel like a lot of our ingredients we buy in the chinese supermarket uh it's just such a great place yeah we've just got so many good ingredients yeah. in there i've been thinking about that tofu a lot recently that that you got oh the puffy one yeah oh yeah yeah I think it's really good i would love to eat that maybe i can manifest that for for um <laughs> Stockholm. Stockholm, like an Asian street, like a Ting Tai caravan vibe. That's what I want to find in Stockholm. Yeah. That spongy tofu is the nicest. It must just be really deep fried. Yeah. I think that's that's how they make it. Yeah. It's probably not good for you, but so good. <laughs> but nori, it's full of minerals and nutrients. So it can actually contain up to 10 times more calcium than milk. There you go, guys. You don't need milk. You can just have a wee shade of nori. It's full of so much good stuff, all that good stuff that you get from the sea. So like copper, iron, manganese, phosphorus, potassium, selenium, zinc, all of this good stuff that comes from the the lovely little ocean. Point one, we're going to be talking about the sentience in turkeys. But to start off with, let's give a little bit of a brief history of um, this beautiful bird. So they're native to North America and the earliest turkeys evolved there over 20 million years ago. And turkeys domesticated over 2000 years ago and were likely to be first domesticated in pre-Columbian Mexico, where they held a cultural and symbolic importance. 
and Annette said that they were first exported to Europe via Spain around 1519. Yeah, I read online about how they, way back when they used to be, there used to be millions of wild turkeys, people would, they would just come right over to humans and they're a little bit more scared now. They won't come over to you as easily because they're used to being hunted and killed by humans, but they used to be so friendly that I read... Um, someone had written in a book, and this is a book from years and years ago, about how they, you know, they were a hunt somebody who hunted and they shot the birds. And because the birds were so friendly with them, they found it so hard to do it. And they thought maybe it's not even worth it. So, yeah, they're extremely friendly and they've got some cool things about them. They, they all forage together in like a little pack and they can eat any type of food. So, they generally eat like nuts and seeds and bugs and things like this, but they can generally eat anything. And even they're born, they're literally born and within 24 hours, they're out foraging with their mother. <laughs> like 24 hours, how insane is that? A baby can't look for its own food. A human child can't look for food until it's about 18, <laughs> literally. <laughs> um, they've got some fun noises. I'm sure you know the gobble by the male turkey which can be heard a mile away on a quiet day. And females click, apparently. So um, also in the wild, turkeys sleep in trees, which I find really cool. <laughs> Just imagine a big turkey in a tree in a nest. Like, they probably don't do that, but <laughs> I feel like it'd be quite cool to see a turkey in, the in a tree. Nice. So yeah, um more on turkeys and how wonderful they are. So Benjamin Franklin was actually a big turkey fan and he referred to turkeys as birds of courage and believed that they should be the national bird of the United States instead of the bald eagle. And he probably thought that they were so important and birds of courage um, because they're actually very, very intelligent and playful with unique personalities so they form strong social bonds and show affection towards one another and mothers um, raise their chicks to five months and pr fiercely protect them from danger along this process and just to um, show off their intelligence they can recognize others by their voice and there's been recorded more than 20 unique vocalizations that um, turkeys can have in the wild um, and they have the ability to to remember the geographic content of an area larger than a thousand acres. Um, and this ability to kind of uh, recognize geographic con um, content and uh, characteristics is um, probably linked to the fact that they're incredibly inquisitive and curious animals. They love to explore and they love to be entertained and to do games. Um, and they're in fact very very gentle and they really enjoy to socialize with humans that they've bonded with um, and just a little bit about their agility wild turkeys can fly 55 miles per hour and run 18 miles per hour do you have any have you ever met a turkey Rachel no no I've not um <laughs> but I would like to, I would I. like to I don't think um, but I feel like people um I was going to say the word demonize, but I think that's a bit too strong. They kind of make 
turkeys seem like these strange creatures, or at least that's my experience. It's not kind of like, oh, the little turkey, or oh, I don't know. There's never this kind of affection associated with turkeys from my experience. They're kind of a bit weird, and they've got these like strange flabby heads that people find a bit strange. And I feel like often people say that they're ugly and. It's just a, it's just an animal that I feel there's been a lot of negative connotations associated with and kind of like no one that I know has ever had like close encounters with turkey, um, turkeys. What about you? Yeah, I think it's just, I think people only talk about turkeys yeah. around Christmas. Like you don't really hear about them any other time of the year. People don't talk about turkeys in spring. Yeah. It's really weird. No, I've never met a turkey and like they are a wee bit ugly but <laughs> since I've been researching this I just have such an affection for turkeys yeah. now I really want to I'd meet like one I'd like to have one it's my New Year's resolution and to take meet a, a turkey but yeah I, I'm trying to think of their the names of the that like flabby red thing I think it's mm. called a tuttle a tuttle it's <laughs> a fun word to say tuttle in Northern Irish accent I was actually researching this um, in Tanafiki, my favourite coffee shop, today. And then I saw these people that I knew and they came over and it was me and Tim sitting having a coffee. And they came over and the, the guy I knew was like, oh, like, what are you, are you um, doing some work here? And he looked at my laptop and it was literally just a YouTube video of turkeys. <laughs> and I didn't really explain anything. I didn't even say like, oh, I'm, you know, writing the podcast. And he was probably thinking, Tim was just sitting there on his phone and I was sitting here looking at videos of turkeys. And he must have been like, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> Why is she doing that? I was like, oh, he walked away and I was like, oh my God, I should have explained myself. Because he had a bit of a weird look in his face when he saw what I was doing. Anyway, you know, this is what happens with the <laughs> podcast job. You get yourself into these sticky situations. But yeah. I think we need to meet some turkeys so we can have a personal yeah, opinion. Yeah, I would really love that. I would really love that, especially For knowing sure. how curious they are now and gentle. That was a term that came up a lot with things I was reading: is that they're gentle and that they're curious, and it's just that mm. they want to be around us, and yet we treat them so badly. Which is a little segue into mm. the next point, which is industry practices with turkeys. Ugh, Octavian's just walked in. Oct, I'm doing a podcast. I texted you. Have you ever met a turkey, Oct? Do, do I have what? Have you ever met a turkey in Moldova? A turkey? Yeah. Yeah, a turkey almost bitten my eye off. Oh. <laughs> Come to the microphone. <laughs> share so your, gentle. Share your experience. So gentle. Yeah, gentle. <laughs> Just give a very brief, and then we can decide if we'll keep it or not. Talk right. about your turkey experience. Well, there was this, like, super aggressive um, turkey, basically. And my dad told me that if I go towards him and kind of lift my arm and do like, then he would just like run away. But that turkey took it as a challenge and then jumped on my arm and almost attacked my eye. Basically like <laughs> bites it under my eye. And yeah, <laughs> this is not sure I'm a fan of turkey, really. <laughs> so gentle. This is They're the... just so gentle. <laughs> <laughs> this is the childhood you could expect to have in rural Moldova. Like how far removed it is from our life. It's so funny. Of course he raised a freaking turkey in his backyard. <laughs> That's, That's funny. so funny. Is this just all the vegans writing? They're so gentle, lovable creatures. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Reality, they'll just come and attack you. Try and bite out your eye. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so what's a Thanksgiving or a Christmas banquet without a massive succulent turkey in the middle of the table? This is a cultural association that many nations have made now, and due to this uh, desire for turkey um, in such mass quantities um, in the holiday season, this has led to incredibly horrific intensive farming practices because we're trying to get turkeys as plump as possible as quickly as possible to feed millions of people around about this time of the year. So yeah, just to talk a little bit more about um, what goes into this process, you know, due to increasing populations and the advent of factory farming with its selective breeding practices, um, turkeys are now bred to grow abnormally large and it now only takes 132 days to grow a 35 pound turkey compared to the 220 days it took back in 1960. And this, this kind of... Uh, abnormal growth rate that we've manipulated into these animals has led to a whole host of chronic health issues in turkeys. After they reach a certain age, they physically can no longer stand because of the weight of their body. Um, because of this enormous kind of um, abdomen that they have as well, um, they can no longer physically um, have sex with one another to reproduce um, young, to reproduce chicks. They have to be artificially inseminated, which I think is a concept that really freaks me out a little bit, that we've produced, we've domesticated an animal and manipulated it to the point that it can no longer have sex. Like one of the most biological urges and impulses they cannot do, which I find very grotesque and strange. Um, yeah, they often have issues with the, their joints. They ha often have heart issues because they're trying to pump blood over such huge bodies that aren't natural. Um, broken legs, leg issues, just to name a few of the, the health conditions that they can have. And then also just, um, we've mentioned this before on other episodes about factory farming, but just this is what's happening with the actual birds once they're in the farm, but they're, they're also getting fed feed which is aimed to plump them up as fast as possible and often this feed well in fact always this feed is is grown on monocrop fields where there's just one type of crop growing it's genetically modified to the point of oblivion so that it can grow really quickly and it's resistant to fertilizers this leads to all sorts of issues for the ecosystem and deforestation and dead zones and oceans and um and also the animals are fed so many antibiotics because of the conditions that they're kept in means that it's just a rife um it's just rife for disease so these animals are kept in barns which are incredibly over overcrowded um they haven't got enough space to flap their wings or move around they're crammed together which is just a hotbed for disease and um there's feces on the floor there's birds that are in various stages of decomposition are all around which means that there's no choice but to feed them so many antibiotics to try and stop diseases spreading which um, can lead to antibiotic resistant superbugs in humans and it's also just uh, the perfect environment for zootropic diseases to start and pandem pandemics to spread so there's a whole host of issues that are now associated with our desire to eat turkeys in the holiday season it's awful like it's so awful and like that's i would say what percentage of houses have a turkey on christmas probably like 80 to 90 percent like everyone gets a turkey maybe not that high but i'd say maybe 70 to 80 percent would have that think how many turkeys that is that is insane like 
So where they came from, where turkeys originated from, North America, there used to be 10 million wild turkeys roaming. 10 million. Can you even think of that many turkeys? Like, that's insane. Just in the wild, just living their best life. And then humans came along and just killed so many of them that the numbers went down to 30,000 in 1930. Like, look at that difference. 10 million and 30,000 because people were just, humans just started selling them and things like that because there's no way they were eating those for themselves. Um, But thankfully, I mean, if there's some sort of positive in this story, people then thought that these had to be repopulated. So they first tried domesticating some of the turkeys, growing them and then releasing them in the wild. But this just didn't work at all because... They were brought up in completely different conditions. They couldn't survive in the wild. They just weren't used to it. So then they started taking turkeys from other locations and bringing them to North America and setting them free there and essentially letting them roam, which is good. But I mean, if you look at the domestic turkey, the amount of turkeys that are domesticated now, it's just like, Oh, it's just, it's, it's awful. It's awful. And I'm thinking of Christmas because we don't really have Thanksgiving. But even recently in the UK, I've seen like butchers and stuff putting up Thanksgiving turkey. So it's now even migrated over here to this two, two um, festivities a year that's using these big turkeys. So the amount of turkeys is probably multiplied. It's, yeah, horrible. And all for dinner. Yeah, all for dinner, and and people might be listening to this, and, and especially from the UK, and might be thinking, well, you know, I I only select the the highest quality turkey from from Red Tractor or RSPCA assured um, suppliers, and I can absolutely guarantee the the welfare standards of my turkey well can you um vivo a leading um charity in an in animal welfare um did a report um last year into um a few of the biggest turkey suppliers in the uk and they provide turkeys and would be supplying all the millions of demand for turkeys for a christmas um day in the uk and they supply the biggest supermarkets you're talking tesco's sainsbury's marks and spencer's asda etc and these are these are these farms were supposed to be very ethical and a very high welfare um, standard, and they're red tractor assured. And it this investigation just shows that the government is failing us to assure that these bodies are doing what they're supposed to do. These welfare standards were not met in any sort of way. Um, there's horrible footage that's been obtained from these farms where turkeys are just so impossibly crammed in; they cannot possibly move. There's no um, sources of enrichment or entertainment for these birds um, a lot of them have fallen over because they're so big and they cannot physically get back up to reach water or food so they die of starvation there is many um, examples of horrendous injuries on the birds because they've been pecking each other out of boredom and frustration um, or they've hurt themselves and there's been no efforts maintained to try and uh, fix injuries or provide any sort of um, medical care for the birds that are injured. There was one horrible image that I saw of a bird that had such a deformed wing that had actually healed over, um, which shows that it just wasn't even remotely looked at. It just goes to show that that this greenwashing and this belief that you're eating the very best, it's just... 
it's just a facade and um and just to kind of go off topic a little bit here but this rspca assured um i've been researching things for an, a blog post that i want to put onto the website soon um when you're listening to this hopefully it's up talking about different types of horrendous cruelty with certain foods like white veal and ortolan i'm really happy about this recent um this recent investigation by vivo into turkey specifically because they are just not getting treated well at all um and it's horrendous all for the sake of christmas dinner i would like to end with a quote there's a blog called turkeys want to be friends not food by karen davis and she writes at the end and i think it's quite powerful about turkeys and cultural celebrations she writes celebration can include evolution just as Western culture long ago substituted bread and wine for animal and human sacrifice in traditional religious celebrations, as in the Christian Eucharist, literally a thanksgiving. So the tofu turkey and thousands of other non-animal food choices are replacing the traditional corpse at the festive meal. If bread is not literally muscle tissue and wine is not blood, Few people are clamouring for a return to the good old days of bloody altars and struggling victims. In the same tradition of progress, the new American pioneers are carving out fresh places for humans and turkeys to come together in a spirit of friendship. This, after all, is the true gift that the turkey brought to the table in the first place. Let us rejoice with our feathered friends. I think it just really underpins everything that we've been talking about. And I think that's really an interesting point to bring up of thanksgiving especially thanksgiving and it's sort of a christmas thing as well so the spirit of christmas is to be thankful and grateful and all of these things but it just seems really hypocritical to be thanking whoever for your great things in your life and then eating an animal that has suffered so badly for you to give thanks Something doesn't sit quite right with me there. <laughs> it's just consumerist propaganda. Pretty much. So, moving on. How to not eat turkey? What to eat instead of turkey? Is there anything that you're, you've had that has been amazing at Christmas, Rachel? Yes, and I'm getting deja vu. I think I might have mentioned this when we did our cultural carcass episode. So I've also included a few things that I want to try. But I there is this beef wellington that like vegan beef wellington that last year my mum bought for me and Octave to eat at Christmas and it was so good. It was really, really good. Marks and Spencers in general are just deserving a round of applause at Christmas yeah, time. Yeah, they are yeah, good. They're really good. So if you're not one in the faff of making something from scratch um that was epic and i would highly recommend um eating it and also that i made a vegan gravy to put on the table last year um and i put and i believe i mentioned this as well when we spoke about mushrooms in our mush um in a previous episode um i made this gravy and it had porcini mushrooms in it and it was so freaking good i often dream about this gravy the flavor it had such a depth of flavor to it it was so it was did it taste like mushrooms Kind of, but this distinct porcini mushroom flavour, which is really quite distinct. I still don't know what that is. Um, It's a huge mushroom. Yeah, I thought thought porcini mushrooms were tiny mushrooms, so I don't know what mushrooms I'm thinking of. And we've talked about this before as well. But yeah. Yeah. But in terms of, before we hear your highlights, I also wanted to mention, um, and also we mentioned Gaz Oakley a lot, or at least I do, because I just think he's great. 
and um, he has some Christmas bangers that I really want to try for um, for Christmas. Not literally sausages, but I bet he has those too. Um, but it's like he has this one dish, and I've put the link in the show notes on the website www.dirtyvegetables.com. Um, and it, he has this jerk cauliflower Wellington, and it looks so good. Like it's an entire cauliflower with all this jerk spice on it with pastry over the top basted with all this juice and stuff it looks epic i really really want to try that and he also has this other wellington it's an ultimate vegan roast wellington so he's made this kind of like nut roast meatloaf sort of vibe thing and then he's covered it in pastry and it just looks delicious these two things jumped out of me and also one final thing that I wanted to try last year, but I never got around to it. And a few people have done this one is vegan smoked salmon. So you kind Mm. of, you create a brine in a jar with like hot water and nori and a few other bits and bobs. A brine. And yeah, brine, I've mentioned brine before. I love (laughs) And then you slice up, I was going to say carrot. Yeah, it is carrot. carrot. (laughs) I was going to say that I was going to say apple, but then carrot came out. And then you slice up carrot and then you put it in the brine and then you like just the hot water partially cooks the the carrot and then it cools and you keep it in the fridge for a while and then it really tastes a lot and I think the texture is a little bit similar to smoked salmon to put on top of vegan cream cheese on a bagel or something like that Mm, very tasty Boots Boots does a Christmas vegan salmon and cream cheese sandwich (laughs) it was a really longly worded sentence there it's unreal it's so good like it's a wee meal day and it's just absolutely delicious. And I'm dying to do that as well. I've been wanting to do that for ages. Yeah, I had something on Marks and Spencer's. I can't quite remember what it was. Tofurky does not do it for me. It just, it doesn't, mm. it just doesn't work for me. Um, But yeah, I think buying it is a lot easier. And you know that, same as you, Rachel, I love to cook, but it is a faff. It is certainly a faff. So I think I'll probably just buy something this year. I might attempt making something, but it's also hard because I'm going to be at home, like at my mum's house, and she doesn't have all the spices and the accoutrement that I have in the house. So it's a wee bit different. I can't just whip up something the same. You know, the way you've just got all the stuff, your own stuff, like vinegars and sweet things and coconut sugar, all that malarkey. So yeah, I'll probably buy something. But there's some good, I'd say Marks and Spencer's is the best one. Normally more expensive, but I think there's a reason for that. I truly do. But I think every supermarket has some sort of range. Um, I've seen some wee Asda things coming out. Yeah, you're probably out of touch with UK supermarkets, but there's there's quite a few ranges indeed. I, I actually, on that note, I do find myself missing UK supermarkets a lot. I think that's when you can tell you're starting to feel homesick when things like the supermarket you're like oh i would love to look around at sainsbury's like i really would <laughs> sainsbury's would is good as well love that sainsbury's is good yeah. for vegan stuff yeah they're really good all this all the show i i just feel like every time i go back home i'm my mind is blown at the the range that's just exploded of different things like everywhere like restaurants as well and yeah uh, yeah i really hope i can come home soon and we can do some dirty vegetable stuff together so Essentially, there is so many options out there and hopefully go for a wee browse, yeah, see what there totally. is. So if anyone has any 
banging suggestions please let us know because i would love to try some new little new little treats yeah i i agree or like even like restaurants that have really nice stuff on offer So yeah, to wrap up our episode, um, this episode has been all about turkeys and all their glory. Um, And the points we've been looking at are the sentience in turkeys, industry practices with turkeys, and what to eat instead of turkey this holiday season. Um, And the question we've been focusing on is why should we fight for turkeys? I believe turkeys deserve way more love and respect and um care than they are given their 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 life is far more important than a national holiday or a national dish or a festive treat like imagine that imagine if your life of your your reason for coming into being was because we decided that you have to eat turkey at a certain time of the year and apart from that um, you were given no attention and you're, you're just the whole value of your life was how plump you could get for someone's Christmas table. It just seems when you break it down like that to me, it just seems crazy. Why are we doing this? And do you have the boldness and the, the tenacity to decide to do things differently, to change the norm, to go against the status quo, to do it um, to do it your own way and decide you know what no I'm not going to eat turkey which frankly is often overrated and dry and instead eat something a whole food or not even whole food instead eat something plant-based um, where there's been no suffering involved and yet you're not substituting on any of the exciting times with friends and family the coming together the sharing of love Um, the socializing, the alcohol, everything else that people associate with Christmas that they can enjoy, the presents. You can still have all of that and you can still have an an amazing meal, but just think about maybe having a nut roast um, for a change. So yeah, turkeys are, we've learned a lot about turkeys and I hope we've educated you on turkeys too. And I really hope that you can see that their lives um, deserve way more dignity and safety from cruelty and harm than we're currently giving them i don't think there's anything i can add to that that's perfectly said okay everyone thank you so much for listening all about turkeys please let us know if you've ever met a turkey because i'd love to know and hopefully it's better than octavian's interaction As always, you can follow us on Instagram at Dirty Vegetables. You can email us at dirtyvegetables at gmail.com or visit our website for all of our show notes. We've got blogs on there. We've got recipes. Slowly building up the repertoire of recipes at www.dirtyvegetables.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you next week. Bye, driver. Adios. Adios.